Hello there. Welcome to the podcast that the rain has gone away for now, at least sunshine here on Monday morning, the 5th of October in the west of England in Cheltenham. Thank you for clicking on the button. Thank you to the sponsors as ever, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham's social media, Instagram, particularly for some great promotional videos about the new equipment they have available from B&O and also Twitter in terms of that as well. But through that company, Serene AV, remember, Jason Briggs and his team can offer bespoke entertainment solutions, not just Bang Olufsen equipment, albeit that is fantastic equipment. And uh, thank you to Cytoplan for the continuing association with the podcast. Have been taking for a few days now the new supplement, Immune Complete 2, which is for men because we don't need iron. Immune Complete 1 is for menstruating women and children. And uh, feel good, actually. Good levels of vitamin D in there as well. I think that's been key over the weekend, hasn't it? It's hard to maintain. Although, actually, in the upcoming interview, really interesting, Dr. Randolph Crook in the podcast does say that we can store vitamin D from the summer to get us through a couple of months of winter in the Northern Hemisphere in particular, where you don't get too much light. Uh, but cytoplan.co.uk, if you'd like 10% off, go to cytoplan.co.uk and please use my discount code, Draper10. D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, and then the numbers one, zero. So here we go. Um, this is the podcast on the subject of immunity and optimizing it and health and longevity. Went up as a guinea pig for uh, two men, particularly the co-founder of the Cotswold Optimal Health Clinic, Dr. Ranulph Crook, who is assisted by a physiologist who's studying, uh, is a PhD researcher at the University of Gloucestershire in the Sports Science Department, Craig Patterson. And Ran Crook uh, kind of ran me through the protocols. Craig set me up, had to do a little test on a row machine. Then I went to maximum effort. They analyzed my VO2 max metabolites and kind of gave me some recommendations, which I can run through quickly at the end of the podcast in terms of my health and my training and things like that. But it was a fascinating experience. And just, I guess, in the context of COVID, we talk about how important cardiovascular health is, but just general well-being and longevity, all the things it's tied to, and also make a distinction between fundamentally how important it is just to move but then how we do have to elevate our heart and lungs to a sort of i think 60 percent capacity of our maximum heart rate that's for a number of times per week and the gents will talk about that but how important maybe that little bit more strenuous exercises if we can do it even if it's just running up the stairs but we can uh, now get to the interviews first of all it's craig patterson phd researcher the man put me through my pace on the row machine i kind of fell off at the end because i was exhausted and didn't quite uh, get to where maybe i should have done because my technique was poor. I think I did these when I was at sports science degree in Loughborough University, and we did it on a treadmill, which was slightly easier because I think running is more intuitive about measuring your capacity. I'm not that familiar on a row machine. I have a sort of general, relaxed warm-up on there sometimes in the gym on a row machine. But here we go. Here's uh, Craig Patterson and then Dr. Ranoff Crook to come. Okay, here we are. Still masked up, socially distanced in Dr. Ranoff Crook's uh, kitchen. Um, uh, first of all, we'll speak to Ran in a second, but with uh, Craig Patterson, who's a sports scientist and physiologist at the University of Gloucestershire in Cheltenham. I'm just catching my breath after the yeah. VO2 max <laughs> test, uh, Craig, still. How, how did I get on? You said there's no death sentence for me anyway. No, no death sentence. I'd say you're a good bit of health, I'd good. say. I think you've probably got a bit more in the tank there than, yeah. than this points out. But obviously, we did that on a rower, something you're not... No, I do sometimes warm up on it, but yeah. Yeah. So with... 
with VO2 max tests, it, it becomes very, uh, it's very important what modality you use it on. Mm. You know, if someone's a triathlete or something like that, a, a rower doesn't give you that useful information. Yeah. That it's very different on a treadmill, on a bike, on a rower. Because you're sort of judging your perceived rate of exertion, aren't you, at the start to set it all up and then it's quite hard to predict if you're not used to sort of yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. a six out of 10 maximal effort is and a nine out of 10. Yeah, for sure. So that's why we do like a little parameter check beforehand to try and gauge it, but it's not a perfect, yes. you know, it's not a perfect uh, mechanism. But by having, at least by doing that, it means that we get a nice graded beginning. Hmm. And then once we see a particular point in the breath by breath data, then we know we can just push you to, mm. to go as hard as you can and see what the actual peak is as well. Do you remind us what a VO2 max is for people who are listening here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a VO, VO2 max or VO2 peak, you'll use the phrases are sometimes used interchangeably mm. and without getting really boring, <laughs> uh, there's a slight difference. But it shows that the max, it's the maximal aerobic capacity of your body, mm. the maximum amount of oxygen that you can take in and utilize effectively. Mm. And as you can imagine, on highly trained individuals, it's higher. Yeah. And it decreases. <laughs> it does, yeah. And it's hard, it's hard on the row machine, actually, because you, you're trying to hit targets of what output, but it's quite inexact if you're not used to the strokes to, to nail that, that what yeah. target, aren't you? So yeah, it's, it's for sure. Fun. Yeah, rowers are, because you've got so many inputs, mm. you know, because you can change the drag factor on the rower, a participant can change their stroke rate and mm. even just the the force with which they pull. So yeah. you've got a lot to try and balance, and it's it's easier with trained rowers. Mm. But <laughs> they know what to hit, yeah, know how to how hard to pull and what. Yeah, they know how to yeah. gauge it. Whereas when you do it, uh, like we talked about earlier, if you do it on a treadmill, you, you set can the speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you are set at a speed. You either run into the front of it or fall <laughs> off the back. Yeah, so. It, so it's easier in that respect. It's good fun though. I feel nice and warmed up from it. Um, it'd be interesting to do it again in the future, actually trying to kind of maybe get a closer hit, but it was, it was pretty exhausted by the end. But you're also analysing, is it metabolites? Is that? Yeah, so well, we're looking at, it, this is a key indicator of metabolic health. Mm. So especially with the, you know, we're seeing this big push towards everyone trying to get healthier in wake of the, mm. the current situation. So VO2 max gives us a really good indication of whole body aerobic fitness and that relates to your cardiometabolic health mm. you can then from this you can gear out a few more training uh details yeah so you can look at your ventilatory thresholds and start to plan your training but for a for someone who isn't an athlete someone who is just trying to get healthier mm. it gives them real easy evidence easy uh numbers to shoot for in terms of this will predict intensities based off your heart rate mm. so we can say to someone who is trying to improve their health this is the heart rate that you need to work okay. at okay so what we ran and i were discussing it earlier you often see people um especially older relatives so i get plenty of exercise you know i'm always mm. up and down the stairs or they mm. play golf and they walk it the difficult thing with that is it's never an intensity that is hard enough yeah. to elicit cardioprotective effects, mm. which is ultimately why we want to do exercise. So, so the sort of movement isn't the, isn't the, that's a simple remedy that people say, we actually need to do it in an intensity to, to stress your body a little bit. Yeah, what I don't want to do is put people off 
Uh, well, if it's probably less like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet, but. any movement is better than no movement, right? Yeah. But what we, what we need to do is work hard enough that the system is strained. Mm. And what this test allows us to do for people who maybe don't have that training background is utilizing anything. A lot of people have watches or phones that can detect heart rate. Mm. We can give them a number and say, right, for you, you need to work at above 120 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. that's moderate intensity exercise or vigor or whatever it is mm. and then when we talk about our physical activity guidelines you know 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity a week which is yeah. what is recommended we can say well what that means for you is this number mm. so that they don't confuse day-to-day movement walking up and down the stairs yeah as necessarily hitting those targets so you have a movement goal but you also have an intensity goal which exactly yeah and that's what's going to give people the best bang for their buck Mm. because you don't have to you don't have to slave away in the gym to do this stuff no but having that number can just say you can look at that and say okay i need to work a bit harder or i need to or i can so we we were analyzing the sort of vo2 max in the lungs but it's actually heart rate which is the better practical use for people everyday life that's the translatable thing yeah so VO2 max, unless you have the sort of gear that we have, the Panoe device or another metabolic car, hmm. it, it, you know, VO2 it's data doesn't... Cool mask, they might <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No one's ever put one of those on and not made a Bane joke, you know? Oh, that's, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, Batman film, yeah. Yeah. Um, unless you've got those devices, it's, it's not very good to tell someone, right, you need to work at... Uh, yeah. You know... So- is maximal heart rate when I was at university was 220 minus your age? Is that roughly, or is, and then you work a percentage of that, or is that too inexact? Depends on their. Sorry, I'll probably say depends a lot. Yeah, no. it, it, it depends on what you're asking that to do. For yeah. someone who isn't physically active, it, that's absolutely fine. That's an easy way to to calculate it. There are there are slightly different ways of predicting it. Obviously you can do a maximal heart rate test. Mm. Uh, so like this will give us a maximal heart rate for you during that test, mm. which was 182. Okay. I, like I said, I would predict that you would be higher than that mm. given your training history, but <laughs> might have over exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're still at 200. Yeah, yeah. We're still, we're still super high. Yeah. Um, but for most people, it would serve as a rough tool. Yeah. This is just this sort of data and linking it to heart rate just allows us to be more exact. Mm. And with, with COVID, there's a sort of sense that any greater capacity in your cardiovascular system just gives you Perfect. one more, yeah. more space to work with if, if you get the condition. That's it. If we can improve our fitness where, you know, that should be everyone's goal at the minute mm. in terms of how can, you know, it's always been important to look after yourself, but now it's kind of this I hope a big Kickstarter for people. Mm. What steps can I take that are going to facilitate me? Well, just living longer generally, but you know, also maybe preparing yourself for potential infection or, mm. or whatever. You know, there, we shouldn't need an excuse to get in better shape and look after ourselves. Yeah. But this is a. <laughs> well, it kind of makes life easier as well, doesn't it, for everyday life? I think if you've got a greater capacity in your cardiovascular yeah. system. Yeah, so a way to think about it is, so like your, your, uh, your data there would put you at the, the top end of normal, mm. which means that you 
walking up and down the stairs, which maybe so when we talk about VO2, we talk about it in a relative term relative to your body weight, so milliliters per kilo per minute. Yeah. So if we have someone whose VO2 max is 50 and mm. someone who's 20, which can happen in very unfit individuals, mm. let's say walking up and down the stairs represents 15 milliliters per kilo per minute. Okay. So three fourths capacity, yeah. Yeah, so for you, it's nothing. Hmm. You could run up and down those stairs. But for someone who's that unfit, actually, that represents a majority of their aerobic capacity. <laughs> it's funny you say that because my wife's taken to, she didn't really like sustained jogging, but she does sort of sprints up and down the stairs 10 at a time sometimes. Is that yeah. something it's quite pragmatic to do? Yeah, I mean, it, depending on your neighbours where you live. And yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's something to it. Obviously, we need to. You know, we're trying to hit those activity goals. Mm. Uh, and like at Olympic, the, the government goals that we have are pretty ample. We just need to reach them, which a mm. lot of the population don't do. And actually, uh, one of my research areas is sedentary behavior, such as prolonged sitting. Mm. And we know that that's really detrimental. So we're, we're always trying to balance, move more, but move with enough intensity, but don't sit down, you know. <laughs> yeah. So we always try and, whenever you're trying to come up with public health guidelines, you're trying to make it as simple as mm. possible. And sometimes you miss the caveats because... What would be your advice to someone then in terms of... So say general movement, take that out of the picture. For intense exercise, what heart rate should they be looking at and for how many minutes yeah. per time exercise yeah. or, or how much per week? It, it depends, on, depends on their age. Mm. Uh, if they don't have access to... Um, if they don't have access to this sort of testing, mm. you could simply do, uh, you know, 220 minus your age. Yeah. Uh, and then work at probably 60% of that. Okay. So if you had a, so say it was like, say you're 40, 180, and then 60% of 180. Yeah. So which would mm. get you sort of 100, 110. Mm. And you're working there. That works out as half an hour, five days a week. Okay. But it doesn't have to be half an hour it could be three lots of 10 minutes throughout your day that's just as effective we're oh. just trying to accrue and in that, that range stress. that develops you will then become more cardiovascularly fit at that point which then means maybe you have to start working harder yeah eventually yeah. But, yeah. But, <laughs> until you're full out yeah 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 so that's the other thing we're we're trying to do enough that we get a cardioprotective effect but we've got to realize that we also adapt to the training yeah. that we're doing and this is what I mean. There's so many caveats. Yeah. But we just want to try and keep it simple. If someone doesn't even have a heart rate monitor, the simplest thing you could say is, I want you to work at an intensity where you struggle to hold a conversation. Mm. So it's a few words, breath, a few more words. Mm. That's obviously, that's not a hard and fast <laughs> science, but it's a way for people to gauge it who maybe don't have heart rate monitors or don't want to yeah. think about it too yeah. much yeah because I'm, I'm not so massively into documentation and things like that it's mm. quite just simple to get out and push yourself and feel your heavy breathing yeah and yeah and also sometimes if you do feel like a little bit ropey you sort of you rein it in a little bit yeah. don't you, as well yeah because um, that's interesting my dad said he's a doctor in the, in the Cotswolds as well and he um was, was aware of like the dangers of extreme exercise at the moment if yeah. you're, you're immune suppressant things so that's people shouldn't necessarily think I'm going to run for three hours at high tempo because that could actually yeah. make you more susceptible to yeah. illness. Yeah, yeah, which is, again, we come down with these, these caveats. If we just 
don't be don't be sedentary mm. don't be too active just sit in the middle <laughs> yeah just you know yeah the physical activity guidelines work yeah don't, uh, don't try and shoot for you know like these crit yeah but we've probably all got friends who do like they want to do daft it feels like a male thing i don't know whether it's there's not many yeah. women who get up and haven't done anything for a year and suddenly try and run a marathon i don't know i've met so yeah, i've met you? some pretty cool uh, yeah pretty cool people that just you know just want to take on these amazing amazing things because yeah, a lot of times people see on youtube or something they see this amazing challenge that yeah. they want to try but they I get look, up at 3 a.m. every morning and yeah, I run a yeah. marathon. They've absolutely no right trying this yet. You know, yeah. they need to build up to it. But yeah, you know, whatever gets people gets people out, but gets them out doing it yeah. safely. Actually, the extreme exercise, I don't have any data to support it, but I imagine that's more younger folk anyway. Mm. Would be is probably a hasty generalization, but. Yeah, because extreme exercises in the older demographic, you'd imagine, would have started when they were younger. And yeah, yeah, so they're attuned. That. Yeah. yeah, they're tuned to it. So it's, yeah, I don't think you're, hopefully you're not going to see like too many uh, okay. previously sedentary, middle-aged and over just deciding that they're going to, you know, run a run an ultra marathon out of nowhere you know what i yeah, mean like yeah <laughs> well, it's funny because you're, you're doing your phd at the moment in a sports science community in cheltenham at the university of gloucestershire i, I went to loughborough it's something that sort of ignited my interest because we had some pretty elite long distance athletes there mm. and how poorly generally they were like they'd come to class and they'd have colds and coughs and all this kind of thing and suddenly sowed a seed and then the general thing being a sports reporter you become aware of the injury side of it and how unhealthy a lot of athletes are that is a perception that you want to be like a professional athlete but actually a professional mm. athletes under a lot of stress yeah and actually Loughborough do some really interesting they're still doing some really interesting stuff looking at uh, immune responses to exercise because mm. we know that just generally you know uh, moderate activity is good for us and it will have a benefit beneficial effect but obviously going too far mm. Is, it, is then pushing it. But we have to try and... We're always trying to understand where that limit is. Yeah. There's a, it's a fluctuation daily, isn't there, in how you, how you feel sometimes when you go and do cardiovascular exercise. Of course, it, you know, life throws curveballs at you at different times, you know. It, and, you, you know, you can run yourself down with stuff outside of exercise, you know, your work, uh, family mm. stresses, whatever it is. Uh, and sometimes it's important to, to regulate yourself. Mm. Don't... Uh, it can be really easy to just sit, like, especially if you've gone to the uh, to the trouble of planning out your training schedule or someone has given you a training schedule. Think, no, I've got to hit that today. Mm. Sometimes you, you just shouldn't. Yeah. You know, you just got to dial it back and auto-regulate yourself mm. that way. Yeah, it's fascinating. I was just, saying, just chatting to Ranan anecdotally. We'll bring him in in just a, just a second as well and get his, his, his current thoughts on the situation. But how... Um, I read a lot about health and exercise but also read self-development stuff and there's sort of a lot of messaging around getting up at five in the morning and doing this and that and actually pragmatically if you're up if you're working late till midnight or you've got a, a baby who's woken up in the night actually getting sleep is the priority for your health yeah it's sometimes just kind of looking at it for you as an individual basis rather than trying to take someone's perfect recipe that they've they've advertised as the way to feel great yeah the the key thing in sport and exercise science in health sciences the answer to most questions is it depends. Mm. So if you see this all singing down, oh, this is what you need to do, you know, wake up and grind at half four in the morning, whatever it is, 
if that works for yeah. you, post it works. on Instagram. If it's yeah, your, yeah, your cool. bloody if you, hand or something. I'm yeah, sure yeah. If else. you didn't put it on Instagram and it's not on Strava, it <laughs> didn't happen. Yeah. yeah if, if that works for someone, fantastic. And I got no, I would have no qualms with that. But don't assume that it works for everyone. And yeah. Don't assume that it will necessarily work for you. If waking up at seven, having a decent breakfast, then doing some training, then going to work, maybe doing a bit more in the evening, and then mm. getting eight hours of sleep, great. Mm. Yeah, do your thing. Yeah, and it's in, it's interesting actually. Um, I revisited recently a fitness instructor's course, and it, it was no harm intended from the instructor, but it, it's sort of something that sort of jived with me a, a little bit. It was one of his his mantras, one of his preambles, his conversations was, you know, we've all seen the person in the gym who has no smart goals, no specific measurable. They're, they're doing the same routine year after year. But I've always thought, actually, if that person's doing that for 20 years and they're the same level they were when they're 18, when they're 38 or 38 with a 58, there's actually, it's not a bad thing if they're, if they're keeping themselves in a condition as you age. Yeah, for sure. Like, it, people want to try and one-up it a bit and mm. call people out. If you focus on what you're doing, try and stay healthy yourself. Mm. It, it shouldn't matter, you know, as long as you do it, as long as you do it in a respectful way, you do it in a healthy way. What, what does it matter what the mechanism is? And do you feel you, you get a sense of it just in everyday life, how you are as well, if you are walking upstairs and, and going for long walks or you know, hill walks or whatever, and you suddenly notice yourself out of breath, then maybe it's a time yeah, then to, you to think, make a change. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> a bit like the trouser test I said in my waist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah when you put on your favourite pair of jeans and think, hmm, uh, <laughs> they didn't used to fit like that. Yeah. Yeah. It just People should just aim to try and stay healthy, but in a way that works for them yeah it just needs to be manageable and sustainable don't think that going for the latest fads uh training technique or diet or mm. whatever it is it just find something that you can stick with yeah the diet data is pretty bleak isn't it long term the effects of diet in terms <laughs> yeah. of maintaining weight loss is not not great you get sudden dips but yeah 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 and you, you know um uh i always speak too much about nutrition it's not my not my expertise by any means, but yeah, you see a lot of uh, weight regain data, uh, troubles with actually sticking to diets long term. Mm. That's what I mean. It, it, you need to exercise, bring that in or something as a yeah, hour, yeah, and yeah. and just find stuff that's sustainable. You know, it's really tempting to say like dieting is is probably most guilty for it. And, you know, people will try the latest mm. fad. I'm thing only drinking it. juice for six weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. I won't name any diets in particular yeah. in case it upsets someone. But no. you, know, you, you, see, you see loads of different diets. People will try them. They lose weight. Fantastic. Mm. They then stop eating that way. They regain the weight. Now they've actually affected their metabolism to a point where their resting metabolic rate is now lower. So it's now harder for them to lose weight again. Yeah. So they continually have to keep going down calorie-wise mm. unless you start to introduce more physical activity. Could you see how my metabolic rate was doing? Is that analysed on there? Is it? Um, it's actually a lot. It, it won't give you... So what you would do is um, a resting metabolic rate test would give you mm. an idea of how many calories you burn doing just nothing. at rest, doing yeah. nothing. And then from there, you could make some informed choice on, well, how much activity am I doing? How much am I eating? Portion control, isn't it? All the fitness trainers tell yeah. it's the big, <laughs> yeah. love a big meal, but you realise actually that a yeah. big dinner can kill you. Yeah, we've always got to bear in mind as well, like, um, like the RMR, the resting metabolic rate test, gives you an indication of how many calories mm. you're burning and from what source those, those calories are likely to come from, whether it be fat or carbohydrate. 
Um, but again, it's, it's a snapshot. Mm. It's this idea of um, how much training are you doing? What intensity training are you doing? It's, it's going to affect all of that. Mm. But I think they're helpful tests if you can, if you can do them. And generally, your metabolic rate, if you exercise to a decent intensity three times a week, well, that will stay relatively high as you age, will it? It's a calorific output. Yeah, assuming one of the key determinants of that is actually how much muscle you hold on to. Oh, okay. Muscle is metabolically expensive. So, res- so if you can keep muscle... So resistance training is important as part of that picture. Absolutely. Resistance yeah. training is the uh, sometimes unsung hero, mm. especially in aging. And can that be just body resistance stuff or does it have yes. to be weights? Yeah. Yeah, you ju- you know, we're talking about just progressive overload, how you achieve that, mm. whether it be with extra weight, whether it be with bands, whether it just be extra reps. Yeah. It's, it, it is so important, especially mm. as we age, not only from a muscle standpoint, you know, holding onto muscle, it's also going to help, uh, help your bones, especially mm. as you get older, keep them strong, reduce your risk of fracture from falling and this sort of stuff. It, and that's why I think within the last, it might even be longer than that, relatively recently, strength training is now part of physical activity guidelines. Mm. Yeah. You know, two times per week. A lot of stuff we'd have done normally in manual labor jobs when we were on the land or whatever, we were more active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, we, we need to, don't just think that running is going to solve all your problems. Mm. It will help a lot. Yeah. But again, it's just holistic. It's doing, uh, and finding ways that you can do resistance training that you enjoy. Because <laughs> not everyone... Yeah. It's funny, like, we've got a kettlebell at home and it's one weight trying to do more reps progressively. And yeah. Interesting, because I know James Golden's a uh, fitness instructor in the Cotswolds. He's going to come in and, and do the test as well. And he, he, he sent me a 50 press-up challenge, which I didn't do on social media because I didn't want to do it in two installments. But I'm up to 46 regular ones. He claims he can do 75 or something, regular press-ups and one, <laughs> one go. So that's a target. But you do get better in, even doing one set every morning or leave a, sometimes a 48-hour break. It's interesting how you can improve that that's yeah, quite nice for sure but that must have a muscular effect i guess yeah cool yeah you're building strength you're building endurance within those muscles and, and especially like i say as we get older mm. keeping hold of that muscle is so important and especially actually even if you go into uh you know with certain health conditions the mm. more you can keep your muscle muscle quality muscle health there is really important so are you optimistic, obviously we're in a lot of anxiety and fear around COVID, do you feel optimistic that there will be positive health outcomes long-term in terms of people thinking preventatively about, about their health, about maintaining and maybe avoiding chronic, chronic lifestyle problems? I hope so. I hope that people use this as the, as the opportunity that it is to make some positive changes in their life. Because now if you can get the habit now mm. and keep it, that's great. But uh, I... Yeah, I'm mindful of obviously it's been a really tough time for people so I don't want to say like oh yes you no. know super positive you know yeah. we have to be respectful of it. it's been it's been pretty rough for a lot of people um but if ever there was a time to really kick start trying to get healthy without it being the new year <laughs> you know <laughs> this is the time to do it well, Craig, th- I would say thank you, but you've uh, you just beasted me on the row machine. <laughs> so it's, been a, it's been a fun experience of sorts, but thank you very much. And um, can people follow you? Are you on social media? Do you put any sports science stuff up? On I that? don't tend to, no. no. I put, I put a, occasional papers on, but I'm not big on social media. Oh, okay. But the University of Gloucestershire's yeah, you sports can, science department. Yeah, yeah. You can find uh, UOG Casey's. That's the community of applied sport and exercise sciences. We'll put up stuff that we're doing at the university and some of our research as well.
Brilliant. Well, it's uh, great, to, great to speak to you. And we'll just pause there and we'll get Dr. Ranoff Crook around waiting in the wings to give his thoughts from the Cotswold Optimal Health Clinic perspective. Cheers, Craig. Thanks very much. And if like magic, we've uh, passed the microphone, wiped it, <laughs> sterilized it across to, to Ran on the other side of the kitchen table. Uh, Ran, good to speak to you. You've been on, on the podcast before. How, how are you doing? Yes, yes, very well, thank you. Were you happy with the, the test this morning we did? The I think it machine? went very well. You, you surpassed uh, our predicted expectations. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I think I was trying to be realistic. Cause I said to you before I did, did the fitness course, and uh, the, the, it's the received... Uh, the RPE received um, perception of in- exertion, or mm. and, and it's interesting on that we had a lot of bravado and people saying that they were at two when they're sort of running ten miles an hour on the yeah. treadmill and things yes. like that. And yeah. so I, I was trying to be realistic, but maybe I underscored it. But it's very difficult to get a projection, isn't it, of where you are exactly? It is, as as Craig was saying, when you're unfamiliar with a, a modality of of testing, then it's um, it's it's difficult to uh, to know what your ten out of ten is to, yeah. to compare it to. So. Yeah, it's one of those things that to probably get your ideal values, you probably need to wait till your second or your third mm. test to really get the true, true representation. And you're a rower, but most of us dread the <laughs> rowing machine. Don't we? You must find that quite. Do you find that sometimes because it's such a all-consuming physical exercise, isn't it? Legs and, and upper, upper. It is. Yeah, yeah. So it's an, you know it's it's one of the best to to exercise the most muscles in your body, like swimming. It's it's a really great all-round one. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I think rowers dread their own machine just as much. They'd much rather be out on the water than on a, on a stationary rowing machine. Do you ever get out onto the water? Because you used to row, didn't you, to a good level at university? Yes, not, not for a long while since. So, uh, so yeah. I haven't been out on the water for a while yet. But you're in London on the Thames, whereas the River Chelt's a bit, yeah. a bit more diminutive, hard to row, yes, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah. Although Ch- Cheltenham College, they, they, they do row. So um, I think they go up to Tewkesbury. I'm not sure. Oh, the, Aven, the Avon there, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. uh, but yes, no, no, I haven't been for a long while. Well, how, how's the Optimal Health Clinic been with the, the coronavirus and the, the situation? Have you been able to continue developing that, that project? Yes, yes. So, so, um, so interestingly, and, and part of you know, the, the test that you've been doing is, is a collaboration that I'm doing with an old school friend of mine who's currently up north, um, Andy Crockett. He's, um, he's a doctor up there and mm. he's actually moving to Gloucestershire. Okay. And so... We used to go to school together, we sort of rode together and went to university and obviously our, our paths are crossing once more. Yeah. And so so we're, we're actually going to sort of join that, that um, service together. So, um, so, so that's part of this. And through um, my studies in my master's in sports and exercise medicine that I'm doing at the University of Bath, I came across Craig and yeah. and so our paths crossed and and with his sort of huge knowledge of physiology and <laughs> sports science um we we are you know expanding what we can do and really going into this this sort of cardiometabolic side of really sort of uh, digging down into um the the fundamental drivers of of our sort of health yeah and your, your cardiorespiratory fitness is is one of the the best predictors of your your mortality essentially mm. so are you are you um sort of reviewing that more and more in terms of when we spoke i think at the Cheltenham wellbeing festival last september with the emphasis in our talk and we had we had crowd then as well we had fans yes and, not fans probably the wrong way but people uh, people <laughs> that sport sport sports uh, mode i'm in there um but you were talking about emphasizing just movement as being the key but are you refining that with your sort of interaction with craig and sports science to that that intensity awareness as well 
So, so I think you know it's it's the question of of who you're really addressing it to, mm. um, and yes, for a huge proportion of our you know population, just getting them moving is the key. You yeah, know, not being sedentary and and probably where movement is the beneficiary is is just in terms of not being sedentary. Mm. So sedentariness and your cardiorespiratory fitness are sort of independent so you can you can be your sort of weekend warrior if you like and yeah. do your you can meet your physical activity sort of requirements just in the weekend and that compensates for being sedentary for does it no no no, 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 no. So, so so if you're sitting down for eight nine hours at an office desk that that is an independent predictor of of sort of risk mm. of disease and and poor health and mortality again at the end of the line so so sedentary time excessive sedentary time is independent of how physically active you are are you, so, con- are you concerned that that's risen in the past six months because people are located at home so they're not doing the commute on buses and trains and walking to work whatever i don't be. i don't think we have data for that but but yes that that theoret- theoretically could be a, you know a big risk people are are not in their offices where they can get up go and see talk to people and you know now working from home everything's a lot more convenient you can just plant yourself mm. at your desk at home and and you know sit there working away you know not speaking not getting up yeah, a few, few feet yeah, from the kettle yeah exactly so so yes it, it, it is a risk you don't have that commute where you you know even if you drive to mm. work you still have to get from the car park up to the office and things like that so you, you don't have those little bits of physical activity that, as Craig was saying, just add up cumulatively across the day. Yeah. How are you seeing the COVID picture locally with, with your practice? Because I spoke to my dad last weekend. He said it was very minimal. He hadn't noticed a particular spike to reflect the cases that we're seeing in, in the press, which are particularly up north, I think, in, of England. But you're not in the same. He's in Morton in the Marsh. You're in another part of Gloucestershire. What, what have you seen at your practice? So the, the the numbers that we're seeing are still relatively low in terms of people presenting with COVID symptoms. Mm. Um, what we're seeing a lot of is is the the, the non-COVID um, stuff and, mm. and and people who have had symptoms that they've just um, not not presented with for fear of you know coming to getting in the way healthcare system or, or getting in the way or not wanting to burden the the NHS and got to a point where they just can't ignore it anymore and it's starting to have a sort of a meaningful impact on what mm. they can do from a day-to-day basis. Uh, and also because of the knock-on effect of the whole backlog that we're going to see from the hospital appointments and, and, and operations and things where, where people who otherwise would have already had a hip replacement or a knee mm. replacement, you know, they've tried everything else, they've been through the physiotherapy and they'd they just need that operation now you know might not be getting that for six to 12 months and it's you know living with that and you know the painkillers aren't working the physiotherapy is making it worse so you've got this sort of big group of people who are affected and I think I was listening to Jeremy Hunt yesterday saying that for, for every coronavirus death you've got now potentially a risk of one extra death of of delay cancer diagnosis wow. or other sort of non-COVID related. And that's from the government, that's actually, they're, they're, they're recognising that now to a certain. So it's a, it's a challenge for the NHS and medical practitioners now, because we were talking before about how politicians are giving certain time deadlines, finite deadlines, but if we look at living with the coronavirus, is it a case of 
I suppose you guys having to shift to incorporate COVID restrictions and guidelines within the, the greater picture of other, other illnesses and ailments? Yes, it, it, it's, it's, you know, mo- moving targets. You know, mm. we're, we're sort of heading into a period where, you know, cases are rising and, you know, hospital admissions and deaths have started to, to, mm. to rise as well. So potentially you can start seeing, you know, as we were hearing about earlier on in the week in, in Wales, that, you know, hospital services again could be significantly impacted by having to to manage the the coronavirus issue so so yes you know in terms of just not being able to do what you you used to be able to do because of the 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 delays and the capacity issues but also in how you manage patients so for example obviously with my sort of sports and exercise medicine background thinking about things like doing in joint injections or soft tissue injections we we we're a lot more restricted on mm. doing those or, or have a much higher threshold before we'll do things like that because there's a risk of the, the, the drug we use, the corticosteroid, potentially putting you at a risk of having a, a more severe course of the coronavirus if you had it. So it undermines your immune, immune system. Yeah, so, so it uh, affects how you manage patients and what options there are available. And, uh, and, and, you know, if you do get to the point where you are offered an op- operation, it's the consideration of going into an environment where you may indeed pick up the, the coronavirus, mm. um, uh, let alone the, the, the impact now rather than just going in on the day you might have to isolate for two weeks beforehand have the coronavirus test wait for the result and then go in yeah so it's all that knock on a sort of will, will daily will the same day results or even same hour results that people mention feasible for coronavirus would that make the whole situation a lot easier that people can be tested as and when they're going into a situation I think that the quicker you can get the results, yes, the, 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 the more of an impact you have because the quicker you can tell if somebody's been around, then their contacts can be traced. Um, mm. But yes, you know, in terms of hospital management, the quicker you get a, a result, the quicker you can say, no, we'll have to cancel your operation and get somebody else booked in. So yeah, time, timing obviously, you know, does, does massively enhance what you can do as a result of yeah it. and possibly workplaces cost dependent as well you can go into work and test people who may have exactly. a cough or a cold and, and yeah. just identify what it is and whether they can work or whether they need to go home and yeah yeah absolutely and, and schools and things like that where there are all sorts of you know common respiratory mm. viruses flying around now the, the the quicker you can test those then you know at the moment that they're, they're sort of uh, often whole years of schools are being sent home because one person has the symptoms and mm. uh, and so it's um yeah. It, it, it'll make it much easier it, the, the quicker you have it, but it's it's being able to put that capacity in place and that um, that that speed of response. What what is your counsel in terms of delineating the symptoms? Because it's funny you say that because you've got obviously children. I've got a little girl, and when we go to the drop off at primary school now, there's a sort of often a phalanx of parents lining up to say, "Oh, Jimmy's got a sore throat, or so and so's got a sneeze, or whatever it might be." The teacher's saying, well, unless it's this, we can come in. But is there sort of clear messages you're giving to people about symptoms and whether they need to get tested? Or is it, is it, is it murky, as murky as sometimes people seem to worry about? I think you, you have to just have a clear message and, and follow the, the, the government's advice. Mm. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's a coronavirus, which is in the family of, of what often the common colds are, coronaviruses. And, 
we know that people have a spectrum of being asymptomatic to being you know mm. ventilated and dying from it and and therefore anywhere in between so the concept of 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 people saying oh it's okay you know my my son's just got a little cold in the sniffle it's it's just a common cold yeah i won't get him tested there's no way of telling that definitively no particularly with children because they have it relatively light. much more mildly more yeah. likely to have much more mild symptoms so so really you know if you have those symptoms the temperature you know a persistent cough and and, and loss of sense of um taste or smell then mm. then you do need to you know go and get any one of those three test. so persistent cough temperature loss of taste or smell are the three the yeah. three big ones and yeah yeah so sneezing and things isn't part of it but it's, no uh, no less less common but yeah if you ha- hit any of those other other three then yes you, you do need to have a have a test mm. yeah, yeah it's, it's if you is there a sort of um have you seen the psychological impact on people of the of the lockdown of the pandemic how have your have your patients been with that and maybe some of the like say the uncertainty over symptoms and things yeah so there are a lot of people who um who have as i say you know said oh I just thought I had a cold and mm. you know I thought it was just my my normal bronchitis type thing and 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 so there there is that perception that oh no I know what these symptoms are because I've had these those same symptoms before but there's no way we can discern that so you know I still tell people yes it might be the same as your normal bronchitis or it might feel like a normal cold but we've got to get you tested mm. um but the, the, in terms of the, the sort of psychological effect, it's having, you know, a, a huge impact and, and it's getting sort of bigger sort of as, as the time goes by that, you know, people are feeling very isolated um, and it, it, it's kind of exacerbated by the fact that a lot of the services are now remotely managed. So mental health services you you know people often want that face-to-face interaction but when the only access they can get is through the telephone or through a video mm. consultation to mental health services then again they're not getting the, the, yeah. the sort of the, the, the treatment i liken it to sort of junk food in terms of we can get by with the that digital contact but it doesn't quite seem as, as it, human and re- it doesn't and replace it, does it no 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 and and, and we we were t- talking earlier in in terms of our our own working lives how 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 different the interactions are when you're doing telephone consultations or as you were saying sort of interviewing people Mm. um sort of virtually it takes a much greater toll it's sort of mentally it's much more tiring and fatiguing Mm. isn't it you're staring at a zoom camera or teams call microsoft teams and 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 so going from an office where you know you might have lots of face-to-face meetings and much more varied day and Mm. you know being more physically active as well um to sat all day non-stop at a computer having zoom meetings and things like that it, it, it's it's you know people have much lower rates of sort of satisfaction from their work they don't get that human mm. interaction and 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 can be isolated if you know especially if they're living by themselves mm. less natural breaks as well it seems for people yeah. who work in administration and management my friends there's almost a tendency to just schedule things back to back because you are sat in one place you don't have to even factor in walking from one part of a building to another yeah yeah, which absolutely. is which is nice mental and physical break, isn't it? Between between commitments, I think maybe yeah. can maybe I suppose it will balance out as we get more used to it. What are you, so your general tips on that side of it and the physical side? Do they again dovetail that getting people out to try and walk, go for a job at lunchtime? We talked about daylight and vitamin D in the past as well. Is it trying to schedule that and almost 
not campaign at work, but make sure that work knows the importance of these things as well and, and so why you're doing things and why you're taking a break. Yeah, so, so I mean, w- when you are in a workplace, then, yeah, it's great if, as a, as a whole workplace, you can encourage people to, you know, have a 10-minute break to, to go out for a walk. At our surgery, we try to encourage our staff to, you know, go for a, a, a walking break. Um, if not, we've got some sort of exercise bikes in the meeting room that they can... Don't you know. make them wear the big mask thing as well. No, no, no. Um, but the, so, so this was a bit, even before the, the coronavirus. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, so, so, so we actively try and encourage that. Um, you know, if you're at home, it's a little bit more difficult because you're relying on yourself to, to prompt rather than the nudges of somebody else saying, oh, do you want to go for a walk or do you want to have some lunch outside together or something like that? Mm. Um, but, but, but yes, you, you want to try and schedule in, you know, make sure you get some natural daylight in, in the morning just to, to, to keep your, your natural daily rhythm, your circadian rhythm um, in, in check. And... And, you know, it, it's, it's about getting those breaks as well. So often, you know, people have smartwatches or phones or, yeah. you know, rings or whatever to, to monitor how, how long you've been sitting down for. That just give you that nudge maybe once an hour to say, is it time you just got up and, yeah. you know, had a little walk around? And, you know, it's as much as just... It's good for your circulation as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. just going for a walk around your desk and sitting back down yeah. is better than not doing anything at all so it's just trying to to get into a little bit of routine as working working those sorts of things in and you know just little tricks like making things a little bit more tricky for yourself like using the toilet upstairs rather than mm. downstairs or you know putting your your sort of air print Especially to the other side two. of the room <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so so it's using tricks like that to make yourself have to get up and and, and be active and and things yeah no, that's it's good tips and um what sort of general tips on the intensity of exercise? Craig touched on it there. Do you give your average? I know it's very difficult, and Craig was saying there's caveats, and it depends is a key phrase. But for an average person of average health, if he or she exists, what would you say about intense exercise then? So it's, it's about moving up gradually. So, so it's very much dependent on what sort of they're, they're, they're used to, what state of um, fitness they're in. Mm. Um, so you, you, you want to gradually increase your, your, either your exercise duration and you don't want to increase it by more than sort of 10% you know, each week or so. So you know, if, you're, if you're, you're, you're running 20 minutes a couple of times a week, you would, if you want to try and progress that and get fitter, you, you either want to increase the duration or increase the intensity. You don't yeah. want to go for a... a you know harder run and a longer run at the same time you just want to gradually increase in small steps bit by bit and and make that progression sort of naturally Uh, and if you don't have a fast watch you can almost know when you go and when you come back how quickly you're doing it and almost sort of subjective feeling of of how breathless you are and things like that potentially yeah yeah but but uh, but equally for for as as you were sort of talking about earlier you know that that at the higher end that the sort of elite athletes or or even the the amateur athletes who are just trying to run their ultra marathon or something like that at, at, at a time like this it's very much not trying to push yourself to the max um, mm. and, and and overdoing it because that has a significant impact on on your immune system 
Um, and obviously with, with the coronavirus sort of circulation, we, we want to try and minimise that. So it's very much about having, having a way to monitor your, your, your recovery. Um, you know, I, I use things like the, the Aura Ring, which sort of monitors your sleep and then you mm. get a, a sort of a recovery index yeah. the, the next morning. So you've got an objective marker. Just don't get stressed though. That's what I always worry about with sleep documentation. It's like you're going to be stressed because stress is actually proven to reduce your immune system as well isn't it so yes yeah, like, so, so, don't so, panic if you didn't get a good night's sleep exactly so so it very much depends on a personality yeah. as as to to how helpful it is but but sometimes it can be helpful as as a, a data gathering bit of information so you can see right what am i like now i want to change this mm. what sort of impact is that going to have on my sleep yeah. and, and you can make those comparisons without having to to wear something all the time and yes it's funny because sleep's always been my biggest challenge i've exercised and tried to have a good diet but it's always that working shifts and then having a baby and then actually having an instinctive sort of thing where i, I can wake up quite easily i think it's uh I can envisage myself waking up in the night and saying, how much have I slept and what quality of sleep yeah, is it? And, yeah, but, but the, the advantage that. of having that recovery score is, um, as, as, as Craig was saying, when you've got a training programme that you feel you have to commit to, you can almost build into that mm. a caveat, except if your recovery score's below something oh, and, see, and you, yeah. you can kind of you you know then make adjustments so, so it's not so, how you feel like emotionally it's actually sort of objective that you you've need, got something you objective yeah. so, so you can either use those sorts of metrics to to test what you're making changes to so you know if you say normally have your 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 supper at eight thirty and you've moved it to five o'clock and mm. seeing how that impacts your sleep so you can do that retrospectively but also prospectively if you've got a you know a, a heavy training program for that day ahead but you know for whatever reason children up during the night or whatever <laughs> reason you know it, it shows that you're 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 not fully recovered um in in the morning then then you can then sort of proactively maybe taper what you're doing adjust what you you had planned and and move that later in the week when you can sort of then build in more recovery time and and just Mm. you know it, it, it can be detrimental to overtrain when you're not ready for it so yeah. so you, you're doing more harm than good don't force yourself if exactly the timing's not don't right, force yeah. yourself well uh, um in terms of the cotswold optimal health clinic is that up and running and how are you adapted to the the pandemic in terms of how you see people and, and consult yeah so so that's up and running and and so yes lots of the consultations have have gone virtually but we're we're seeing patients where necessary and doing blood mm. tests and things like that um, that clinic is going to slightly morph into this new clinic um, with Andy Crockett and, and doing these physiological tests with um, Craig. So that, that's going to have a slightly new name as, <laughs> as Crockett and Crook. So, uh, so there, <laughs> Sounds like a very Victorian kind of yeah. name. That's it, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so it, it's, it's going to morph into that and, and sort of re- really ha- try and give it a thorough, really personalised um, sort of assessment of, of somebody's health. So as, as we were talking about, there's always lots of caveats. Um, and it's a little bit like if you're taking a, a football team and you're taking a population average and mm. you're, you're applying it to, to a, an average person, you'd give the, the whole team the same training programme, the same strength and conditioning, the same diet advice. Yes, overall, that might increase the team's mm. performance, 
but not as much as, as individually you take them and assess them and say, right, actually, no, we need to work a bit more on strengths on you, you know, yeah. work on your diet, your skills. And, and so it's really, we know everybody's so individual in terms of how they respond to, to training, how they respond to different foods in the diet and, and you know, things like that. And um, as again, as you were talking about earlier, you know, you see somebody's program on Instagram and you think, <laughs> oh, I, I yeah. can look like them just by doing what they're doing. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, that's not the truth but, at some all. Some people can run marathons without any joint pain, can't they? But other people, you know, run more than three miles. I, I can get sore knees, so I have to be careful with that. So. Yeah. And just yeah. being realistic about it, I suppose. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. So it's, it's really just aimed at really tailoring um, all of that sort of advice with, with some objective measurements like the, the cardiometabolic mm. testing or the sleep data or... The, the blood sugar monitoring data and, and blood tests and things. For overall health at the moment, I'll, I'll wrap up because I've, I've got to go to work and you guys probably got <laughs> things to do. Um, but how are you, in terms of managing the situation physically and mentally, it's interesting because I interview a lot of boxers and MMA fighters and something that's come, chimed with me is that they're very familiar and obviously they found it a stressful situation financially at the moment but they're very familiar with the concept of uncertainty. I spoke to a fighter yesterday, James Gallagher, who's due to fight and this will be Last week, people listening, I think we'll put this off on Monday, but on Saturday night in Milan, he's due to fight the same opponent. He's been scheduled to fight three times before, but it's fallen through for whatever reason. Um, and he was talking about controlling the controllables. And it's a bit of a mantra in terms of the information you take in and, and things like that. I just wonder if that's a, a general advice, because I work in the mass media. We're, we're mainly talking about Jaden Sancho, whether he'll go to Manchester United or not at the moment in sport. <laughs> but obviously the news side of it, people do want an audience but it's I suppose it's controlling how much you take in at the moment as well in terms of not overloading yourself with with the with the coronavirus yeah you you you've again going back to sleep and things like that one of the biggest impacts on on your sleep at the moment is is checking your social media and looking Mm. at the news and things like that before you go to bed so so yeah controlling what what you you have access to and and you know the 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 really critical public health messages you you will get through you don't have to check phones every day and things like that to 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 be able to to access that sort of Mm. information you'll you'll hear it um so so on an individual basis yes you can control what how much you you have access to um to those sorts of things which give you the uncertainty and and the stress and the worry Mm. um in in terms of work you know certainly in the nhs you know things are always changing and (laughs) very very much used to um goalposts being moved and and sort of changes so so I guess it's it's something that we've we've been used to to a degree, but not in in this sort of level of of speed. And you know, on on the large part, the, the NHS has adapted and to, to the change very rapidly and and, and very quickly. Particularly, you yeah. know, in, uh, as as GPs, we've been open throughout seeing patients throughout, switching very quickly to sort of remote consultations and uh, and monitoring and things like that so it's 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 been a you know a very uncertain time but i think you know on the whole the 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 nhs has adapted to it pretty pretty well how do you manage yourself personally because i know my dad said that there's a relentlessness now with the phone consultations or can be uh, how do you manage that process do you work in breaks and things to give yourself a, a clearer head and a, a sort of more active body slightly <laughs> 
Yes, I, I, I try to. Um, the, the easy thing is just to see a whole list of telephone calls and try and work all the way through them. And sometimes, yeah. and you know, we, we all do it. We, we talk to each other about, you know, how it, it shouldn't be the case. And, and you, there's no reason you can't just have, have lunch at a, a normal time and then continue on with the telephone calls. But there's almost that, that sense of completion of completing your yeah. morning list before you have lunch, whether that's, you know, 12 o'clock or 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock. But, um, but no, we, we, personally, I, I'm, I make sure I, I do stay physically active. So for me, going, going for a run before work and, or, mm. or doing some weights or, or even, you know, on rest days, just going for a walk with, with, with our dog, it, you know, keeps me set up for the day. Um, and then at, at work, I've got a standing desk. So when I'm doing my telephone calls, I can sort of oh, okay. move between sitting and standing. So, mm. you know, even even just that variety of doing some sat down and some standing up gives, you know, a change of scene and Blood a change of feeling. And yeah, yeah. So so all those sorts of things. And your your sort of tenets of immunity as you head into the winter, what are the keys for you that people should remember when they're, <laughs> when they're, when they're trying to stave off coughs and colds, almost for logistical reasons as much as anything at the moment is the fear of COVID, but also the, the problems that getting a regular cough and cold could cause. Yeah, I, I mean, as, as we've been talking here and the whole premise of, of this test is, is really, you know, cardiorespiratory fitness is, is one of the, the key drivers of that. And, and so if you can in, improve your fitness, then, then that's going to do uh, a, a, a good, um, good function to improve your immune system and your ability to respond. Equally, aiming to get a window of opportunity of sleep, so being quite protective mm. about having a window of, of sleep um, so, so that you, you're getting your best recovery in and not pushing yourself too hard, um, you know, and, and also looking at the diet side of things, looking at the window of, of, with which you're eating, not eating too close to, to bedtime, mm. um, looking at, at having a balanced, varied the, the general healthful diet you know again we don't want to go into the ins and outs of, of, yeah. of the different diets but but just being being mindful of what 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 it is you're you're putting in and when and we've talked about vitamin d would you supplement vitamin d in the uk over winter or the northern hemisphere generally because of the sort of reduced light so so yes uh, i mean again it's very much dependent there are studies showing that if you can get enough during the summer uh, enough sunlight exposure during the summer oh, okay. so that's during sort of 11 to 3ish mm. um, in the uk that that you can build up enough stores that when pretty much in the depths of the winter in the uk there's little to no vitamin d made through mm. the, the the exposure to sunlight so if you build up enough during the summer, then, then you, you shouldn't need to supplement. Um, but a lot of people don't. They work during the middle of the day and they don't go out in the sunshine even in the summer. So, mm. so for, uh, you know, the, the, the guidance is for, for adults in the winter months to have a bit of supplementation. But again, it's an individual thing. Um, so it, it very much depends on how much you get mm. during the summer as to whether you will sort of maintain those levels during the winter. And your skin pigmentation as well, presumably, if you're pale skinned or, or darker skin with melanin, a lot but, of melanin, it could affect Yeah, that, that certainly does have an effect. Um, uh, it doesn't mean it's not possible, mm. um, but yes, so, so, so skin pigmentation does have an effect on, on how well you synthesize the vitamin D from the sunlight. 
Rand, you're still on, you're on personally on social media, aren't you? But Cotswold Optimal Health Clinic yep. is on, on there as well. Yeah. Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, Instagram and Twitter at Cotswold Optimal. Not, tic not TikToking yet. Uh, well, my son is, <laughs> the, I'm trying to stay away from On the rowing machine, you're not going to TikTok <laughs> yes. on there. Uh, appreciate it. Craig has uh, not got a microphone on, but thank you. And, and thank you, Rand, as well. Really no, thank it. you very much, Ed. Good stuff. So there we have it, Dr. Ranoff Crook and PhD researcher, sports scientist from the University of Gloucestershire, Craig Patterson before ran. Yeah, fascinating. Just running, they sent me the document, actually, once the data had been collated of what I should do. So I'm running at 80% metabolic efficiency, apparently. I've got 100% aerobic health, 36% breathing and cognition. I don't know whether that's to do with the fact that my body wasn't quite in synch synchronicity with the rogue machine or whether that's a deeper issue. I have been trying to breathe through my nose because I read it listen to a podcast advising that's the best way to do it when I'm jogging, but I think it's actually causing more problems than it's solving. 79% uh, fat burning efficiency, and apparently I have a type 2 muscle type, 70% type 1, 30%, so we skew more towards, I suppose, muscular and anaerobic exercise. Uh, breathing and mobility, 36%, 100% cardio fitness, and 69% respiratory fitness. Key to work on that. And my recommendations from that, which I think is it's embryonic stages in terms of those guys interpreting the data, maybe we'd have done sort of more accurate if I'd been more experienced on the rowing machine. But I should do 34% high intensity exercise and 66% cardio and no strength. The workout recommendation mentioned above is based on your fitness goal of conditioning and your scores. So I've been told to do day one cardio, day two rest, day three a high intensity workout hit, day four rest day five cardio, day six rest, and then day seven rest. doesn't sound too strenuous, but I kind of do that anyway, I think. But it's uh, it's interesting because I do enjoy doing weights and things, and perhaps that's why my uh, muscle type sort of errs towards. I enjoyed football, but that in football is sprints, isn't it, and the, the type two fibers. But thank you to, to Dr. Ranoff Crook and Craig Patterson. Check out Cotswold Optimal Health Clinic on social media and follow those guys as um, Dr. Crook, Dr. Rang Crook's colleague, Dr. Crockett, comes into town. Great name, Crook and Crockett, that, isn't it? A real classic feel to it. could be a cowboy or a Victorian era um, kind of duo. But thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang & Olufsen's social media. Remember, for optimizing immunity, which we're talking about there, and, and Rand Crook talked about vitamin D, that is in the Immune Complete formula from Cytoplan. But by all means, go and have your own vitamin D supplementation through the winter, particularly if you do have uh, darker skin pigmentation, if you have a lot of melanin in your skin, if you're black or of Indian heritage, particularly, you know, my friends always recommend vitamin D and a lot of them are on vitamin D over the winter months in, in the UK when there's not much UV light around. It certainly wasn't this weekend, was there all that rain and cloud. But thank you for listening to the podcast. If you could rate it on iTunes, fantastic. If you'd like to get in touch with me, eddraper81 on Twitter, ed underscore draper81 on Instagram. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast, guys. I really appreciate it. Goodbye for now.